This is episode number 41 with the co-founder and CEO of Clean Eats, Don Verity. Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Before we drop into the episode, a quick message from our sponsor, 919 Marketing. I've worked with 919 Marketing for years and there's no one I trust more with my marketing needs in any of our businesses. I've worked with them in our franchise businesses, in my consulting business. I've worked with them on the franchisor side and I love working with 919 because they take the time to listen. They take the time to understand what it is I'm looking to accomplish through my marketing, who I'm trying to reach, and then they help me put a plan together to do just that. I've worked with tons of marketing companies over the years, and too often, it's a one-size-fits-all approach, but not with 919 Marketing. In addition to that, they've developed some amazing technology called 919 Insights, franchising's first and only AI-powered analytics platform. With 919 Insights in place, 919 Marketing can identify the exact topics that matter to your franchise candidates and provide the specific roadmap to help your brand become the highest ranking and most trusted resource when they're searching for answers. So if you're ready to start getting better results from your marketing, and if you want a free demo of 919 Insights, reach out to Graham Chapman at 919-459-8157 or send them an email at gchapman at 919marketing.com to schedule your free demo today. So whether you're a franchisor, a franchisee, or just getting started in your first franchise business, make sure to check out 919 Marketing and tell them West Barefoot sent you. Now, let's drop into the episode. My guest this week has got to be one of my absolute favorite guests that I've had the pleasure of having on the podcast so far. Don Verity, co-founder, CEO of Clean Eats, which is a franchise company, but he's also got multiple companies that feed into this franchise organization. He and his wife, Yvonne, started this company without a plan. And that's my favorite part of his story, which he shares in the podcast with us here is they were just entrepreneurs that had a vision, but were willing to take action. They didn't know exactly how they were going to go about doing what they have ended up doing. They didn't know what this would turn into, but they had a vision. They knew they wanted to create something for themselves. They knew they wanted to create more freedom for themselves. They wanted to break free of the jobs and the life that they had before where they weren't completely happy. And they've built an amazing, amazing organization. And that's my favorite thing about the story that Don shares with us in this episode is that if you're willing 
to believe in what you want to accomplish and then simply take action, you can make amazing, amazing things happen. So that's what we're going to get into in this episode. I cannot wait for you guys to hear Don Verity and the story of Clean Eats. It's fascinating. So let's go ahead and drop in. This is such a cool business and I can't wait to, you know, have you talk a little bit more about it. So, you know, anyone in the audience listening in that is not yet familiar with Clean Eats can not only hear your story, but also hear, you know, what you guys have done in your business. Because we were just talking before we started recording. I mean, you guys kind of do things your own way. You're not a traditional, you know, restaurant type concept. And, and to me, that's what I love about it. So super excited to, to get into some of this. But before we do that, for those listening in that may not be familiar with you or, or Clean Eats, kind of give us a, a, you know, at least a 30,000 foot view of what Clean Eats is today. And then I definitely want you to have a chance to share your story of how you got to where you are today. Sure. So Clean Eats is a brand is actually two companies. Um, now three, I should say. Um, so we have Clean Eats, the brand is a, is a health food meal plan company. Um, my wife and I founded that in 2013. But right now what we do is we have Clean Eats, the franchise company, where we mm -hmm. have restaurants all over the country now. Now we're nationwide. Um, I think the furthest west we are right now is Phoenix, Arizona. They just opened up. Um, and then we have Clean Eats Kitchen, mm -hmm. which Clean Eats Kitchen is also a distribution company. Um, and we have wholesale accounts through there with retailers that sell our meals. We ship meals directly to consumers right to your house in markets where we don't have franchises. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of flexibility there. Um, and then we just recently started Cleans Marketplace, which Cleans Marketplace is kind of an internal company that works with those other two. So it'll source products to those two companies there. Um, you know, we have sauces, spices. Uh, we just started our own snack line. We just launched our own protein bars. Yeah, I saw that. I want to try them. So, yeah, so, so Cleanings Marketplace is the kind of the home for all of our our proprietary branded items, if you will. Sure, I love it. So you've essentially turned Clean Eats into an empire, uh, multifaceted business. Got franchisees handle your distribution for your franchisees and then also into markets where you don't yet have franchisees. And now you're even coming up, coming out with clean eats branded products as well. I love it. And, and it is good, clean food, but it should also be noted. It's damn good food. Like it's, <laughs> it's not what, you know, I, you know, I think of like some of the meal prep stuff as, you know, maybe it's healthy, but it's not necessarily that tasty. I mean, I've, I've eaten clean eats many times. It's delicious and it's good for you. Awesome. Yeah. So, but tell us, tell us a little bit of your story, man, because it's, it's kind of an unorthodox way of, you know, getting to where you are now, literally building this empire. And, you know, I think you guys are just getting started. You've got, I think, a, an awesome ride ahead of you. But I mean, how did you get here? Did you set out looking to, you know, build what you've built today? No, absolutely not. So, I mean, I'll start from the very, very, very beginning. Uh, yeah. I met my wife at a gym, local gym back in the St. Louis area. Um, you know, and my, my dream and my goal in life, I was a union carpenter for 12 plus years. And so what, what I had always had a dream of doing was opening my own sports bar. You know, this mm. was, 
this was back in the early 2000s when, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings wasn't a thing. Applebee's was not around. Like, I think Applebee's was around. But, you know, like the big conglomerate sports bars now where you go in and there's 100 TVs, those didn't exist back then. So. Yeah, it was more just the local yeah. sports so, bar. Yeah. We had a lot, a lot of cool local spots, especially in St. Louis. We're a big sports town. Yeah. And so that was always, you know, fascinating to me. I always wanted to, to own my own bar and have a, a place to go hang out with my buddies and hang all my – Sports memorabilia, I've got – you can't really see the rest of my office, but i got a lot of sports memorabilia hanging up. And I always thought that would be cool. And then, you know, I got into bodybuilding and, and competing and fitness a lot and um, met my wife at a local gym there. And she had just opened a small cafe that was you know, like a baseball throw from this gym. And it was called Locale Cafe. Okay. And she had literally – I think she was open six days seven days. Um, she was so new that the first time I went in there to try it out and get something to eat, she was selling water bottles out of an igloo cooler under the counter. Like no way. Cooler. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> and so a mutual friend introduced us and we kind of, we hit it off immediately and, you know, kind of, I'll fast forward through this timeline quite pretty, pretty fast to save time. But, you know, we were, probably four or five months in of, of us dating and, and, and being in a relationship. And, you know, that was right, right after the stock market crashed, housing kind of took a crap. Construction was really, really bad then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I, I kind of knew that I wasn't going to go back to work. I kind of knew that I was getting laid off and it was going to be a rough go for me for a while. Um, and I was prepared for that. Um, but you know, we had reached a point in our relationship where we had spent many, many nights up talking, you know, like, what are your plans? What are your goals? Where do we want to take this and be serious about it? Or, you know, we were kind of deciding where our relationship wanted to go. Sure. So make a really long story short, man. Um, I basically knew that the only way for me to be able to help her with her business and, and after we had decided, you know, screw it. I'm not going to go back to work, man. I don't want to put a tool belt back on. You know, I love fitness. I love what she had, she had started there and she knew that I had a really good knowledge of diet, nutrition, competing and stuff like that. So it was going to be a good synergy there. And yeah, um, the only way for me to do that was to file bankruptcy. Mm. So I, that's exactly what I did. I had a a two-year-old Dodge Hemi at the time. It was right when the new Dodge Hemis came out. Oh, I remember when Hemis were the the big thing. Yep. So I had had a brand new one, and um, I had like maybe five, six grand in my name at the time because I had just, you know, paid off a lot of debt from a a previous marriage. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I pretty much liquidated everything I have. I let my house go into foreclosure and filed bankruptcy. You know, I gave Yvonne all the money that I had. I said, I ain't got much, but I've got, you know, a ton of drive, ton of work ethic and a little bit of money. Let's see what we can do. And that's exactly what we did. So, um, I I bet you, sorry to interrupt you. I just say, I bet Uh you never questioned your commitment after that though. No, because I mean, like I said, you know, I was around for four or five months at that point and I was at the restaurant every day working anyway. You know, when I wasn't working my full-time job, I was there helping, doing ditches, whatever I could do to help out, you know? So, and she kind of knew that my passion was in that direction. So, you know, we got ridiculed quite a bit from people around that we were friends with, our family. You know, everybody was like, you guys are nuts. 
Yeah. You know, you've only known each other less than six months and you're going to go into business with each other and, you know, go full steam ahead and do this. And we were like, yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know what else to, I don't know how else to put it. So shortly after I did that, um, you know, I was all in, you know, I was at the restaurant every day. It was, it was so new for me. I was like, holy shit, what did I just do? <laughs> um, and I think within three months of me doing that, we got the opportunity to expand. Uh, there was a restaurant that came available in downtown Edwardsville, right outside of St. Louis, where I grew up. Okay. Um, and it was on the main strip there. And we got the opportunity to buy this restaurant from the lady that owned it. She had some really bad health problems and was like looking to liquidate this thing really quick. And it was, it was a fully function functional restaurant. Right. Okay. So yeah. It, the opportunity kind of fell in our lap and the, you know, the best way for me to describe it, it was like buying a Mercedes for like pennies on the dollar. Wow. We were like, there's no way we're turning this down. And, and at that time we had already had, you know, conversations and talks that we didn't want to stay in the Midwest. You know, mm-hmm. Yvonne had already gone through a cancer scare. I was, a, you know, at that time, I was kind of in a dark place in my life. So I was ready for, I was ready to get out of the Midwest. Nice. I needed to be a fresh start. People. Yeah. So we had kind of decided that we were going to move to Florida. So we kind of put that on the back burner and we were like, you know, for whatever reason, the universe threw this in our lap and we need to take advantage of it. And maybe, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe we need to, you know, grow our brand and kind of develop the the model a little bit before we make this big ass move to the coast and, and do all of this. So that's what we did. And, uh, we bought the restaurant. Um, it ran for about a year, year and a half. And, uh, we wound up closing the first one down and merging the two into that bigger one. Uh, cause okay. most of our, most of our customers already were coming from the Edwardsville area. So it made a lot of sense for us to to close the one small one and merge them into the big one. Did you rebrand the the second one as Locale Cafe? Yep. Yep. Okay. The second one was Locale. Um, like I said, we operated that restaurant for about a year. And just on a whim, man, we were kind of getting to the point where we were getting that itch. We were like, we've got to get out of here. You know, like if we're gonna if we're gonna grow this thing, we've got to go do it where we want to be and where we want to be happy. Cause we were both miserable there. We both hated it. Um, so on a whim, we just went to the Arnold classic one year. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's like a, it's like a bodybuilding competition. Yeah. It's like a, it's a big bodybuilding competition. They've got a huge fitness expo every year. So we went there one year, ran into Jen Hendershot, her brother, John, they, Jen was a big Olympian back then. And yep. it was really popular. So, we had locale cafe t-shirts on walking around this expo. We were dieting for a show. So we both looked like Skeletor. You know? <laughs> okay. and, uh, they stopped us and we talked to them and they were like, well, you know, where's your business at? And you know, the one thing to keep in mind is back then in 2010, I think is when this was 2010, 2011, no me, there was no meal plan companies out there. Nobody was doing this. All right. That was before like the <clears throat> hello freshes, the way the, before. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I mean, even the prepackaged meals that you right. Eat, and eat nobody was doing this yeah um instagram wasn't even a thing facebook was still new <clears throat> yeah yeah uh, the, the menus that you see us put out i used to flip we used to put those out on a flip phone no way yeah we used to text those out on a flip phone like and individually to, each one that you sent out we would do uh it would take when we first started in the very first beginning of locale when we started the whole meal plan thing we had about 90 90 meals a week that we were doing close to a hundred and it would take us two hours 
to text that. Oh God, I bet you don't even have the full keyboard. You're going like, you know, hitting the button four times to get a Z or whatever. Yes, you you are (laughs) correct. So anyway, um, you know, Jen and John had told us about Wilmington because they were kind of, they were from around here. They were from Burlington and they had a lot of friends down here and they said, you guys would kill it in Wilmington, North Carolina. We're like, no, our heart is set on Florida. And they just kept, you know, going back and forth with us. So just, we went back, back to St. Louis after that, that thing. And a couple of weeks later, we're in our dining room. We're really slow. And we're just kind of messing around on the computer. And I found this deli in, uh, on Craigslist that was for sale in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I was like, well, check this out. You know, this is where Jen was telling us to go. And I think the following weekend was Labor Day. And so we closed our cafe down for the entire weekend on Friday, jumped in our van. We were driving a minivan, by the way, because we, I didn't have a car anymore. I, no I more Hemi. Yeah. I was driving a minivan. So we <laughs> loaded up the minivan, drove 17 hours to Wilmington, straight through, slept at truck stops. Damn. We put that deli in our GPS and drove straight there. And, you know, on the drive, we kept saying, we want to be around, you know, fitness. And, you know, we need a gym. We need supplement store. We need these kind of things to sure. – Merge because in the beginning, man, that was all her and I cared about. We just wanted to be around fitness people and, you know, because back then competing and, and bodybuilding and fitness and stuff, that was taboo. Not too many people did it. Right. Yeah. Uh, the way they do now, you know, it wasn't as popular. So yeah. pull into this address and, you know, Gold's Gym on Racine was right across the street. Yep. The Max Muscle was right there. Like it was kind of like a sign. We were freaking out. Like I got, I get goosebumps telling the story and, Went in, sat there and had lunch, looked around, and then we introduced ourselves to Dave, the guy that owned it. It was Picasso's Deli at the time. And uh, Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we made him an offer right there on the spot. And uh, he was he was happier than a pig. No way. And, uh, we put some money, we put cash down there on the spot and asked him if he could hold it until Thanksgiving. And he, we said, we'll go back, we'll sell our cafes, and then we'll be back at Thanksgiving. We can sign all the paperwork and do all that stuff if you'll hold it. Because he was like dying to retire. The guy wanted out. He said, that's fine. You know, I'll, I'll keep running the cafe until November. And that's what we did, man. We went back and we sold our our restaurant for exactly the same amount of money that we bought Picasso's for. It's kind of weird the way that happened. But. Yeah, if you don't believe in signs before, uh, you're probably starting to give it a little more thought after the way all yeah. that lined up we live and die by that now, but yeah. So we sold all of our stuff, man, and loaded it up in a 16 foot car trailer. And I hauled it out to Wilmington with a dually. And, uh, <laughs> we rented an apartment sight unseen. Uh, cause we didn't, you know, we obviously we didn't have the money or time to drive back out here to sit, to rent, drive around and rent apartments. Yeah, sure. So we rented an apartment over on news center, uh, before they redid them. Yeah. Oh, I used to live over there. Clear run. Clear run. Not oh clear yeah. Run. Not clear run. Uh, uh, the ones behind Golden Corral there. They. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know. They you're were talking pretty about. for a while. They, they've yeah. redone them since. So they're, they're kind of nice now, but. Oh, I did a stint in clear run. Some of the funnest times of my life, but like by far the worst housing I've oh. ever lived in. <laughs> we pulled up man and signed the papers for this apartment. They gave us the keys and we drove around and I opened up the door and Yvonne immediately started bawling. Oh God! Just started crying. I mean, it was dirty, man. It smelled like cat pee. It smelled like cigarette smoke. And I'm like, look, we just got to make the best of this until we can get our cafe open, and then we can move. You yeah. Know? 
And so I paid a company to have come in and have it cleaned. I had the carpets cleaned and we lived there for a few months. And, you know, I think we opened Clean Eats January 24th, 2013. So, so when you opened in Wilmington, you rebranded to Clean Eats. You didn't first open it as Locale Cafe. Right. So when we moved and we closed Locale down, we wanted to rebrand it. We knew that coming out here. Um, and the way that we did that, it's kind of funny. It's kind of a funny story to tell, actually. We, I'm trying to think of the timeline. So sometime in between the time that we sold our, our, the Locale Cafe and we came back out here, we had some points saved up from like a vacation rental that we had done. Okay. Right. So we yeah. drove, I, I remember this now. Okay. So we drove to Atlantic city, which is a little North of here. Yeah. And, um, we stayed in a condo in Atlantic city. I want to say that was, and I can't remember, but it was cold outside. I do okay. remember that. So we were shelled up in this condo for three days before we had to go back. And we sat in there on our big old, we didn't have nice laptops at the time. We had those old like bricks that were like this thick. Yeah. 15 pounds or something like that. Yeah. And we had the, uh, the old, what's that software. We basically designed our own menus. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Designed our own logo with our own font in three days in a condo in Atlantic city. And like the logo was all stretched out. It looked horrible. (laughs) Completely horrible. Um, and then, had a guy print our first run of menus. Now, remember, I said we didn't have any money when we moved out here. I mean, we had like 15 grand to our name, maybe, something like that. So we printed off, I think, 15,000 menus, which was like a lot for us. Yeah. We get them to the restaurant uh, before we open the restaurant, and um, we had a wasabi crab wrap on the original Clean Eats menu, and I misspelled crab, and I spelled crap. <laughs> You can't make this shit up. 15,000 menus, man. Jesus. Like, we were dying. So. It's another one of those where, like, the apartment, you got to look at it and, like, well, we just got to make yeah. the best of it. <laughs> yeah, so we opened in January, and then um, we were open two years. Yeah, oh, uh, two and a half years. And then we kept having these guys come into the restaurant. We didn't know who they were. They were older gentlemen. They, they would always sit outside on our patio and eat. And, you know, the thing back then when Yvonne and I were in the restaurant every day was people would just come in and they just wanted to talk to us. Yeah. You know, which was awesome. I mean, it was, it was great to see. That's how we kind of grew the brand in the beginning was just her and I one-on-one with customers and kind of helping them with their nutrition and things like that. But, you know, these guys were different. They were asking us what our five ter- five-year plan was. And, you know, at the time I was a meathead bodybuilder, man. So I was kind of... <laughs> Not really a jerk, but I was like, man, I don't know. You know, yeah. like you're like lift, lift weights and yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I pick things up and put them down. I'm not thinking business. You know what yeah. I mean? Right. So back then, if we could pay our bills, we were good. I didn't really care about much else. Sure. Uh, but then we were kind of maturing to the size that we were like, okay, do we start another cafe? Do we do two locations here in Wilmington or do we start franchising? We'd actually thought that. Didn't know anything about it. Um, and we went to a local restaurant guy whose office, ironically, is right across the street from where I'm sitting right now. Um, and we talked to him and we were like, look, if we do this second location, we want to do it right. You know, we kind of winged the first one. It, we kind of 
put it together on a whim and made it work. But mm-hmm. if we do this, we want to put it together the way that we want it and we want to design it and everything. And he kind of looked at us and was helping us out. And then about an hour into the meeting, he's like, you know what? You guys need to franchise this concept. He's like, I've been a customer for a year. I've eaten your food. I know the brand really well. I know a couple guys here in town that would be, you know, good people for you to reach out to and help. And, you know, he slid a card across the desk to me and it was a, a franchise guy that used to live here in Wilmington. And we called him and they came and talked to us and we wound up, you know, pretty much that night, you know, how me and Yvonne, we work fast. So like, if we make up our minds, we're not changing it. So yeah, that night we pretty much decided, we're like, look, if we're going to grow this franchising is the way to go. We can't do it by ourselves if we want to do some of the things that we want to do. So we decided to go the franchise route and looking back, it's kind of scary to think that if I think if we did not do that, I don't know if I'd be sitting here talking to you. We hit this market at the right time. And if we wouldn't have done it when we did, it's so competitive now and it's so hard to get out there and, and do, you know, especially in the space that we're in. I mean, like I said, back then, nobody was doing this and you can get on the internet now and throw a tennis ball and hit nine of them. Wes here. You may have noticed there's a franchising theme to this podcast and that's because franchising has had a massive impact on my life. And it's the very reason I'm walking my own path to freedom. In fact, one of my companies is a franchise consulting company where I work with people to help them understand franchising and determine if it might be a good fit for them. And if it is something they want to explore, then I help them navigate the entire investigative process and ultimately find a franchise business that's a great match for them. You know, the fact of the matter is there are thousands and thousands of franchise businesses out there today. And like anything, there are good ones and there are bad ones. Even out of the many, many great franchise companies, not every one of them would necessarily be a good fit for you. You know, buying a franchise is a huge decision and you don't want to wing it. I've helped many people buy franchise businesses over the years and my wife and I have bought and own franchises today and we plan to keep investing in franchise businesses. I love helping people understand this process and help them find a business that's going to be a great fit for them and help them accomplish their goals and ultimately create that freedom in their life that we're all looking for. The best part of all of this is that my services are free to the people I work with. And while I do love to contribute to charities and other great causes, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm compensated by the franchise companies I work with when I introduce them to someone that ends up becoming one of their franchisees. It's very similar to real estate, but with franchises. I have the privilege of working with hundreds and hundreds of the best franchise companies out there across practically every industry. So I can be absolutely confident that when I recommend someone to look at a franchise company, I'm introducing them to a very credible and proven company with a solid business model and great support. So if you think you might be interested in learning more about franchising and seeing if it might be right for you, I'd love to speak with you. Get in touch with me by email at Wes at path2freedom.com, path, the number two, frdm.com. And also check out my website at path2freedom.com, spelled the same way, where I've got a ton of resources, both franchise and non-franchise related, that will help you start down your own path to freedom. And of course, subscribe to and follow the podcast for more great advice about business ownership. And if you know anyone else that might be interested in speaking with me, please share this podcast with them. Thanks for listening to my shameless plug. Now let's drop back into the episode. 
you guys were way ahead of the game when it comes to meal plans. So, like, where did the idea for doing meal plans come from initially? Was this something that was already kind of going on in the bodybuilding circles, but it just wasn't, like, mainstream yet? Or was this, like, were you guys kind of the original innovators of the meal plan program? I mean, my chair keeps breaking. Sorry. Um, I don't know if we were like, you know, quote unquote, the pioneers of prepackaged meals. I'm sure there was somebody doing it before us, but I know that there wasn't many. Yeah. Uh, and I know there was nobody in our area back in St. Louis that was doing it. I know that for a fact, but uh, no, I mean, Yvonne, we both have personal training backgrounds. You know, Yvonne was a personal trainer on the side. She was an x-ray tech for her full-time job mm-hmm. and was personal training on the side. And she was, you know, doing meals and prepackaging meals for her clients, you know, putting them in Tupperware containers. And then her clients would buy the food in the containers from her. And, you know, that's kind of how she kind of built the business in the beginning of the cafe anyway. Um, you know, and then the reason that she turned it into a cafe and, and decided to go that route was um, that cancer scare. Mm. She had melanoma and was diagnosed with melanoma, kind of went into her lymph nodes and everything. And oh, wow. by the grace of God, she's, you know, that, it, it was, it's gone, you know? Yeah. Um, so she was kind of miserable with her full-time job and just decided, you know what, I'm just going to go for it. Um, you know, turn, turn what she was doing with her clients into a business. And then for myself, you know, I had already competed in one bodybuilding show before I met Yvonne and I had, um, I think I, I broke my leg at some point, I think it was 2000, 2001. And I decided that, you know, during rehab and stuff is when I fell into love with weightlifting and, and working out and stuff. So I kind of had a passion for it. And as a carpenter, you're only working, you know, eight hours a day. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know what, I can get an online personal training certification and do this on the side, make some extra money and do something I like doing. So that's what I did. And I was, ironically, I was doing the same thing she was. So I was training these clients on the weekends and in the evenings. And then I was kind of like giving them meal plans and I would cook my own food that way. So, so I had two or three of them that I was doing it for too. So that's kind of how we got the background, the idea for it was just doing meals for. Yeah. It's what kind of what you were already doing and recognize that there was a demand. Uh, you know, the couple things that I've picked up on, you know, as you've been telling you and Yvonne's story that, that I think are worth, you know, hitting on here for others listening, you know, one is you guys both kind of realized, Hey, we're not, like super happy where we're at in our lives right now with what we're doing. And I think anyone listening is, is either been at that spot in their life before or is currently there. Right. But what so many people don't do is ever take any action, right? They'll sit there, they'll overthink it until they're blue in the face. They'll come up with a million reasons why they shouldn't take action, why it's too risky, or they'll listen to the naysayers. Right. I mean, you said, uh, friends, family members were telling you guys you were crazy and, you know, you've only been together for six months. Like you're moving way too fast. And that's, that's like more common than, than you think. Right. I mean, a lot of the times when you're the person that's really trying to grow and take yourself to the next level and, and make some moves with your life, it's the people closest to you that are going to be holding you back. And sometimes it's legitimate, like concern there. They want to make sure you're not, you know, going to do anything (laughs) too crazy, I guess. But sometimes it's also because them seeing you trying to make moves makes them uncomfortable and think 
about the fact that they're not making moves. So they want to hold you back to feel better about themselves. But I, I just thought that was worth pointing out. And, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people listening to this right now that are in that spot right now. They know they want to, you know, make changes. They know they want to go in a different direction with their life. But one of these several things we just mentioned are holding them back. Like, I mean, did this just kind of come naturally to, to you and Yvonne in terms of like head down, block out the noise and, and take action? Or, or was it something that you guys had to really kind of mentally process and find ways to, to overcome it and, and push through it? I would honestly, man, I would say a little bit of both. Um, yeah. for, for me, it was easier for me to do that. Um, now, granted, I had to give up a lot, like I said. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of people, like you said, get scared. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, to people that are listening to this, I would not, I would not make a decision like I made irresponsibly. You know, like if, if you're a 30 something stay at home mom and you're, you have a passion to want to go do something, but you have a full-time career that's helping support this family and pay your bills. I would not just say, you know what, I'm unhappy, screw it. I'm going to leave. And then, you know, not be able to support your family. So sure. I get that. Um, I was just fortunate enough not to be in that position. So make the sacrifice that I made, I made, and it only affected me. Um, and, you know, the same for Yvonne in a way. Yvonne had two small girls. Um, but, you know, her situation was a little bit different too. She was able to make that – she was able to do that to where it wasn't going to affect her girls in a negative situation. It wasn't going to put her her girls in a negative situation, you know what I mean? So, but, yeah, I would say once we once we decided to make that commitment and do it, it was, it was head down, eyes up. We never looked back. I mean, we never, we're big believers in never having a plan B. Yeah. If you have I a like plan that. B, you're going to fall back on it every time. You know what I mean? So burn the boats. Even now, even now we, we, we operate like that. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think, but we do. I mean, even as big as we've gotten, as much as we've, we've grown, we still like, if we, if we come up with an idea and we're dead set on doing it, we're going to, we're going to pull it off one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that. And, and I can tell that about you uh, just from, you know, hearing you talk and, and the conversation that we're having right now. And, and I think it's good for people to hear. Cause I I've heard, by the way, Don's got an awesome podcast called the clean truth. Definitely check it out. Um, I think it's pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. I know I've been listening to it on Spotify, but um, so I've been listening to, to your podcast. And one of the things I've heard you guys talk about a lot is the fact that, you know, the status quo doesn't have to be the same for everyone, right? And that, you know, what one person's American dream is doesn't necessarily have to be your American dream. And there also doesn't have to be this conventional route of getting there, uh, wherever there is for you. And I think you guys are a perfect example of, you know, you didn't take a very conventional route, right? You were working construction. Uh, Yvonne was an x-ray technician. And now you guys are very successful business owners also helping other people get into business for themselves and be successful. So you're operating at different levels there. So I think it's a good example and a good reminder to people that, you know, if you're serious about, you know, making some of these moves in your life, whether it's starting a business or or something completely unrelated to business, you know, finding a way to do it. But once you decide on the path you're going down, don't falter um, from that. Yeah. And I love y'all story. It's and 
reminds me of my wife and I a little bit, and I'm not going to go into detail, but, you know, we've always kind of been that way too, like very quick to take action once we know what we want to do. And I mean, I literally, we were long distance for like a year and I flew down and visit her and randomly had a job interview, squeezed like a three week process into three days, got a job offer on my way back to the airport, came home and told everyone I'm moving to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And, you know, same thing, friends and family are like, what? Like, yeah. what, what are you talking about? And like a week yeah. later, I'm in a moving truck going to Baton Rouge. But, and, and to your point, you don't want to take uncalculated risk, right? We're not talking about going to Vegas and putting everything on black and, sure. and hoping that it works out. But it's, you know, once you've kind of gathered the information necessary to make a decision, once you've done the analysis, nothing good is going to happen by then just overthinking it or dragging your feet to not make a decision, right? At some point, you either make a decision and then move forward or you're going to get paralysis by analysis and nothing's going to happen. Well, I think, you know, the other thing I can add to that is I think some people hold back because they don't quote unquote know how or they don't understand the business aspect of it. Yeah. Man, we didn't either. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think until 2014, maybe early 2015, I didn't know how to read a P&L. Yeah. I didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, we actually got one. It's kind of funny. We haven't framed at the house, but we have a P&L from the very first full calendar year that we were in business. And we were in the hole $105,000. Whoa. Yeah. That's cool that you have it framed still, though. I like that. I mean, now that's on paper. You know, the restaurant industry back then, it was a completely different ballgame. You know, we were a cash business. So, you know, we were able to eat off the restaurant. You know, sure. we lived in the restaurant. Literally, this is no joke. We lived in a closet next door to the first cafe that we had that was a bridal salon. We threw a futon and a TV back there. Um, because Yvonne, she didn't have a home either. We were basically homeless living in the unit next door. The landlord let us crash there. Wow. So we were open seven days a week anyway. So what we would do was we would, there was a laundromat next door. So we would wash <laughs> our clothes there. We would go train at the gym that, you know, I told you was right there next to the restaurant. Yep. We would shower at the gym, go back to the restaurant, make ourselves some dinner and go lay on the food time, watch TV, get up and do it all over again. We did that for almost a year. Let's do a year we did that. I love it though, man. But it, I mean, it just goes to show that like once you get serious about something and you make up your mind, there's no excuses. Like yeah. you can find a way. And I bet that's some of the, the best memories that you guys have. Right. Oh, I mean, I'm sure, you're I'm sure you're glad you're not still sleeping on the futon, but I bet you're glad that you went through that. Right. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we battle with this now, kind of a little aside sarcasm joke, but you know, we kind of, we miss those days. Yeah. Because back then there was so much more creativity involved. Not that we don't now, but mm -hmm. it, it's different. Definitely. So the, brand, the brand has evolved. So us trying to come up with a new fresh idea takes oodles more time to implement, you know, like these protein bars, that project was nine to 10 months long. Wow. Whereas back then in the early days, if we wanted to, you know, make up a new dessert, we made 200 of them in the cafe, laid them out on the shelf and sold them. And if yeah. they were popular, we kept making them. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we missed that a little bit, that, that the early days where it was like 
kind of was able to just do what we want when we wanted to do it. And then yeah. whereas now, like I said, if we, to be able to expand on clean East just takes more time because the brand's more involved. There's more people involved. It's not, it's, it's, it's a mature business now. Sure. And it's not necessarily one of those startups where you can just go. No doubt. Yeah. You, you kind of go from being able to be very spontaneous to now you have to, and it's not just you guys anymore either. You've got other mm-hmm. franchisees involved, right? So you've got to look out for their best interest and you're operating in different parts of the country. I'm sure that, uh, you know, add some layers to it. But, you know, I love the point you brought up that because I do, I think that's another reason people hold back, right? Is they're like, well, I don't, I don't know how to do this yet, or I don't have all of the answers. And and so they just sit. And to your point, you're never going to have all the answers. And the best way to learn is just to get out there and start trying things, right? Yep. Um, in fact, I just finished a really good book because I heard you talk about this some in your podcast, like just getting comfortable with failure. And I think that's something that any entrepreneur needs to be comfortable with. But if you haven't read this yet, uh, Willing to Fell by uh, Brian Scudamore, who founded 1-800-GOT-JUNK, which is a massive franchise company, but good read. Um, So you guys came to the conclusion to franchise Clean Eats. And, you know, you said, looking back on it, you're very glad you did because who knows where you'd be now? Because one of the advantages to, you know, being the founder of a business and franchising it is that you potentially can grow much faster, right? Because you're using other people's capital to grow and expand the brand. So tell me a little bit about what that, those early days of, you know, franchising the business were. Like you said, you didn't really know much about franchising at the time. And, and there's a lot to figure out, especially to do it the right way. Like it's pretty complex. Um, So what, what did that look like? I mean, the first, first six months, first year of, of you guys actually, you know, deciding to start franchising clean eats. Sure. It was scary, man. It was very scary. Um, I mean, the first thing I can say is, you know, franchising for the, somebody that owns the business to make the decision to franchise it, that can either make or break you. It really can. I mean, if you make some wrong decisions in the early days, it'll kill, it has the potential to kill your business. Absolutely. We didn't, we didn't know that. I mean, I learned that the hard way, you know what I mean? So, um, but it was scary, but I mean, we, we had some really good guys that helped us. Um, one of the guys, it was two guys here in Wilmington that was taking like small emerging brands at the time and franchising them. Um, are they the still, guys, are they still in Wilmington? Uh, one, of them, one of them is actually our partner now. Um, they were the guys that franchised Fuzzy Peach. Yeah. Yeah. Wells and, uh, Jason Nista is the guy that, uh, okay. that Yvonne and I were working with. And um, he was had that, a guy with him that – Wells Struble, was that, was that one of the guys? He was one of the founders, yeah. Yeah, okay. He wasn't with Jason doing the, the consulting work at the time. So Gotcha. Um, Jason was working with another guy who was a, a franchise salesman, and they had this, this little group that they had formed that was, you know, franchising two or three other brands. And it's crazy to think about, man, we didn't know them. We didn't know them from Adam and we wrote him a check for 50 K the franchises. And the funny story, this is, this is, this will explain how me and Yvonne operate. We were so engulfed with just the idea and the picture of franchising our brand that we didn't do a whole lot of homework on these guys. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we wrote them a check for 50 K and then we went home that same night that we wrote the check after we had met with them and talked to them and talked about how it would look like what, like what the whole thing would look like. And I said, Yvonne, 
we don't know these guys from Adam. <laughs> and we both kind of panicked. And we're like, oh, my God, what did we just do? But I thought you researched them. No, I yeah. thought you researched them. <laughs> we didn't have an attorney. We didn't use an attorney. Yeah. Um, we just started researching them the best we can. And then we reached out personally to some of the other brands that they had franchised and started talking to some of these guys. And that made us, it made us feel really good. Sure. They said some good things. So they, uh, you know, Jason, you know, helped us put our documents together and we were off to the races. We didn't sell a franchise, I think for three or four months. It was kind of a, we took that buffer there to kind of rework our manuals, our systems and procedures and Mm -hmm. kind of put clean eats in a box, if you will. Sure. And um, our first franchisees were these uh, young couple from Myrtle Beach who were customers of me and Yvonne's for two plus years prior. They were buying meals. They would drive up from Myrtle Beach, buy 30, 40 meals at a time. Wow. Drive back down. So they were the, the perfect candidate for us um, at the time. And they were our first franchisees. We opened that first Myrtle Beach store. I want to say it was September, October of 15. Uh, when we opened it. And then after that, man, it was weird. It was just, we were spending zero money in marketing. Uh, none. Cause we wanted to start out. We were like, we had the mindset. We're like, okay, if we sell four or five of these in the first year, that's, that's a good, pretty good thing. You know, it'll help us get our feet wet. It'll help us get grounded and we can kind of work on our, on our system from there with, with a small little franchise group. Yeah. The first full calendar year, we sold 12 franchises. Pretty just good. Yeah. Just word of mouth. No money. Yeah, that's really good. And so we were like kind of freaking out. We were like, holy shit, what are we going to do? <laughs> and so we just kind of figured it out along the way. We uh, changed up things here and there when they came up. And, and like I said, I, we figured it out. Um, the one thing I've always been really good at is if I don't know how to do something, I know somebody that does. And I'm not yeah. afraid to put them around me and learn from it. Um, which I think is another big thing for, for, for people that are scared to go into business with them for themselves that, mm-hmm. like I said, they don't really know the business aspect of it and neither did I, you know what I mean? But I knew who to go to and who to help me. And that's right. And I, was, I was a quick learner and, and I learned really quick and, you know, we, um, about I think 12, 12 to 13 units in, we wound up parting ways with the two guys that, that franchised us. Um, that's a whole long story, another time, another podcast. Um, but we wound up keeping Jason around and we, we partnered with Jason on Clean Eats Kitchen. Okay. Um, and, and not to veer off topic, but you know, Clean Eats Kitchen started um, before Yvonne and I franchised Clean Eats, the brand, we had gotten a contract with Camp Lejeune. Oh, wow. Um, they had a school up there where they were having troubles with some of the guys who were, who were gaining weight. Mm. And one of the people up there who was a meal plan customer of ours, um, got a hold of one of the big wigs there on the base and they invited us up to talk and they said, you know, can you guys help us with this, this division of the Marines that, that we need to get some weight loss off of these guys? And we said, sure. We committed to that, not knowing a thing about what we were about to get ourselves into. We just committed. We were like, we'll figure it out. Yes. Yeah. We'll figure it out. So we started doing these meals and we would, you know, start out, I think it was 150 here, 200 there. And we, Yvonne and I would go into the cafe early, early in the morning, knock out 200 meals, put them in our cooler. At the end of the day, I put them in our, in our minivan, drove them up, <laughs> to, 
drove them up to the base and we just built that business up until we were able to afford our first delivery van. Wow. And, um, I'm kind of backspinning here a little bit. And no, I love of, it. Without love intending it. to, I'm kind of explaining how we actually started the franchise, the franchise thinking of in our mindset. So we bought this delivery van that was a refrigerated van. We spent 45,000 bucks on, I think at the time for us, that was a huge deal. Sure. Like we were like so excited. We were ready to sleep in this thing. Cause it was like <laughs> such a big deal to us. And so at the time we, um, took this delivery van and we were really good friends with Mike Valentino, the guy that owned all the golds in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So we went to Mike and said, Mike, would you mind if we drove our delivery van around and sold meals at your gym all over North Carolina? Smart. Um, you know, and we would share profits or do something. We, so, you know, of course he said yes. And so we hired a guy to, it was actually Jen's brother. Ironically, it was Jen Hendershot's brother. Wow. Um, we hired him and he drove our mini, our delivery van around all over North Carolina for five or six months, man, setting up tables, basically doing a demo. When we put, we had these big coolers that we would put 150, 200 meals in and he would drive to Fayetteville, sit there for three hours, sell meals to the gym, sign me, sign them up on meal plans and, and stuff like that. And so that's kind of how we created the demand, I guess, if you will, for the franchise, for the brand before yeah. we franchised it. Um, so going back to the military, um, that's kind of how Cleaning's kitchen evolved. So we, we actually got in trouble by the USDA <laughs> right at, at the same time we were doing this. So it, we were, we were wholesaling meals to the gold's gym that was across the street and somebody had turned us into the USDA and without us knowing about it, we didn't know anything about this at the time. Um, they had changed some laws with the government to where you couldn't, you couldn't wholesale prepackaged meals without being under inspection with the USDA. You still can't, it's a federal law. You can't do it. Wow. Um, so we get, we went through a whole rigmarole of getting certified through the USDA to be able to do this for the military to keep doing this because it was a, you know, it was a big thing for us. That was a lot of revenue for us at the time. I bet. Yeah. And so we kind of developed it into a separate company and that's where we brought Jason over. We kind of, you know, he left our franchise company, if you will, as the COO or whatever he was at the time and came over and helped me and my wife build Cleanies kitchen into what it is now. Um, and it just kind of kept growing and growing and growing. And, you know, the franchise company and Cleanies kitchen, they were two rocket ships that took off at the same time. So. Yeah. Well, it's, it's cool, man. And I mean, it, it reiterates the point from earlier that, you know, just because you may not know exactly how to do it now doesn't mean that's a reason not to try it. But, you know, like with the Camp Lejeune uh, opportunity, that's a great example of you guys being w willing to say yes to an opportunity that came along. Whereas I think a lot of people would have looked at that. It's intimidating as hell. And they would have been like, well, we've never done any. Well, I'm sure you did, but you yeah. still said yes, right? That's the point. Instead of being like, well, I don't know. We've never done anything like this before. Let me think about it. And then, you know, the opportunity could have very easily passed you up and Clean Eats Kitchen may not even be a thing today. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember sitting in the boardroom there. It was me and Yvonne and Jason. And Yvonne, you know, without even hesitating when they asked if we could do it, she said, yeah, we can do it. We'll figure it out. We'll have meals up here next week. I'm kicking her under the table. I'm like, <laughs> what are you getting us into? And Yvonne, I mean, Jason's eyes bugged out. He's like, oh, my God. Like, 
What did you just commit? Like, you, you realize these are Marines, right? Like if we yeah. end up making them go hungry, that might not be good for us. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's kind of the synergy between the, definitely between me and Yvonne and, and Jason too. Um, you know, Yvonne is kind of the, she, she'll, she's the one that'll jump off the cliff and not worry about the parachute. And then I'm jumping behind her, putting the parachute on. And, you know, she comes up with some crazy ideas that all three of us are pretty creative, but, you know, Yvonne is, she's full go. And then, you know, I, am the one that kind of sits back and goes, okay, you have 25 really, really great ideas. And here's the five that are realistic that we can execute and make, make work. And that's right. kind of the yin and yang. And then you've got Jason who is, you know, he's got a finance background. So when it comes to, you know, numbers and things like that and finances, that's his wheelhouse. So that's yeah. kind of how we kind of ping off of each other. If, if one of us are struggling with something or we need to get something done, that's kind of how our synergy works. And it's worked out great. I mean, yeah. Well, I think you need that, you know, anytime there's a partnership, whether it's husband and wife or just, you know, business partners, you need to have complementary skill sets. And I don't know if you're familiar with traction or the whole EOS concept, but having the visionary and the integrator, you know, every good business needs those. So um, to me, that makes perfect sense. So got through your first year of franchising did 12 franchises didn't have to market it at all and i think that's so cool like that speaks volumes just about the the product that you guys were delivering through clean eats that you know a lot of your first franchisees were clients and that you had people driving from all over the east coast it sounds like to yep. pick up your meal plan so um that's that's huge and you mentioned something earlier um when you said, you know, when you decide to start franchising your business, you have to be very careful, right? Because almost any decision you make can kill your franchise before it even really gets started. And and I'm assuming one of those decisions that you're referring to is the, the, the franchisees that you're bringing in, right? And, and as a new franchisor, it's very tempting to just, oh, this person will write me a check for a franchise hell yeah, let's roll. You know, they, they call it the, the fog test or whatever. Can they fog a mirror? Cool. We'll sign them up. And it doesn't seem like you guys took that approach. And, and I know now where you are today, because I've actually introduced people to, to clean eats. Um, you guys are very, very focused on making sure you're bringing in franchisees that are a good culture fit. Uh, and I think that's so important is that one of the lessons you guys learned the hard way or did you kind of have some foresight or some guidance to know that, Hey, it's actually better to wait to find the right first couple of franchisees or so. So how did, how did you kind of, I guess, handle the, the, the first couple franchises you sold from a culture fit standpoint? So that's one side of the coin and yeah. you make a really good point. So yes, that is part of it. Um, you know, those first 12, like I said, were, customers, people that we knew. So we knew they were a good cultural fit. We didn't really right. have any issues with those. Um, I would say when we kind of parted ways with, with Greg and Jason in terms of selling franchises and developing our franchise company, we had brought on a guy, um, and I won't say his name for other reasons, but we had brought on a guy who basically kind of sold us a story, if you will, mm. and mm -hmm. kind of portrayed himself as, as being something that ultimately kind of led to where he wasn't, um, mm. you know, and he was, his, his kids were interested in buying a franchise from us. They were great. Um, and he came and was wanting like an area development deal. Like he wanted to buy an entire state from us. 
Yep. We were nowhere near there yet. So yeah. we were, we knew we were parting ways with Greg and Jason for just other reasons. You know, we knew that we wanted to do this distribution company and Jason was going to have to be involved in that. So we were like, you know, how are we going to do development? We're going to need help on this end of the, of the franchise side because Jason was basically leaving the franchise side of the business and um, going to help my wife build the distribution side. And the plan was I was going to take over the franchise company and, and grow that. And that's kind of how, what we do now. You know, I run the franchise company, my wife and Jason run the distribution company. Um, but we brought this guy in and I, I've made two very, very, very bad decisions in my life. One, I always joke was my first marriage. Second, <laughs> the second one is I signed in a consulting agreement with this guy before I had a franchise attorney look at it. Ooh, yeah. It was, it was this close to costing us our entire company. And I mean, wow, it was this close to costing us the entire thing. And Meaning like he would have gotten the company. He would have, well, for me to get out of it, it would have cost us everything. Like we would have just been like, yeah, gotcha. Um, so long story short, you know, we, you know, we had this guy working for us for six or seven months and he almost got a suit. I mean, it was just, it, it was really bad. And we, we parted ways with him. That was our first experience with a lawsuit in franchising, which I don't ever recommend anybody having to go through. Yeah. Um, I will tell you that if you get into franchising as a franchisor, it's not if, it's when. I mean, no it's, doubt. It's, no it's doubt. going to happen at some point. Um, we've been through a couple of them already for minor different little, you know, things, nothing major. Um, and so I've, I'm kind of used to having the, the uh, emotional dis, like disconnect from it. But Yeah, uh, you have to, because you're right. It's, it's only a matter of when, not if. I mean, I would say nine times out of 10, if a franchisee is unsuccessful, it's more on them than it is the sure. franchisor. And, but, you know, usually for the same reasons they weren't successful, uh, their first instinct is going to be to point the finger. Right. And yeah. it goes right back at the franchisor. So it's um, pretty. I mean, on the, on the franchisor side, that, that would be the biggest thing I would say is be careful who you let into your, into your house. Yeah. So make sure you do homework and do that. And then on the franchisee side, like what you were talking about a minute ago, I think that is what separates what Yvonne and I do from other franchise concepts is from day one, we have never ever bent on our integrity and what we want and who we want to bring into this so much to the fact that we've fired franchise salesmen. We've gotten rid of developers. Like we've just completely separated ties because we just absolutely refuse to sell our franchise to somebody just because they're financially qualified. Yeah. If they don't fit what we're looking for, we're not going to do it. I don't care if, you know, if it's a, who it is. I, it just doesn't matter if they, they could be a celebrity and it's, it's which we've had. I mean, we've had NFL football players. We've had major league baseball players come at us. We've had, you know, we've had some big name sports professionals and I'm like, I don't want to do this because it's not, they're not going to be connected the way that we need our franchise to is our, our franchise partners to be in order to help our customers in order to speak our mission and, you know, do that sort of thing. They're just going to be a face. They're going to throw a manager in there and walk out the door. Right. Yeah. I, and credit to you guys for that because I think it's so key. I mean, look, I see hundreds of franchise companies, you know, for what I do in my consulting business and, you know, I, I want to make sure I know and understand a brand 
before I'm going to say to someone I'm working with, hey, I think this could be an interesting option for you to look at. Let me introduce you. And part of that for me is I want to know who the leadership team is, who's, you know, at the top of this company. And I want to get a feel for the culture. And that's, to me, it's something I'm big on. Uh, we own franchises, you know, then the franchises we've invested in, we look very closely at the culture of the organization, franchisor, as well as the culture of the franchisees to make sure that's a good fit. Cause that can, that can make or break you. And I coach everyone I work with on that. Like, and a lot of people don't really seem to be thinking much about culture. They're looking at the numbers and ROI and all that, which you, you need to. Um, but they're not really thinking, is this a good cultural fit? So it's, for some people that seems a bit counterintuitive, but you know, for you guys, especially when you were a new franchisor starting out to, to be, you know, as cognizant of that as you were, and then to never bend on it. Um, I, I think it speaks volumes. Like I had a guy come to uh, your discovery day recently or your meet the team day, whatever you guys call it. Uh, and I was joking with him and this guy's got a background as a, you know, athlete at a pretty high level. Like he takes good care of himself, but I was joking with him. Like, look, man, they're very serious about making sure you're a good culture fit. Like you might want to knock out 10 burpees in the parking lot before you walk <laughs> in just to, you know, make sure the veins and the arms are popping a little bit, like just to, you know, really put that best foot forward. Um, <laughs> but I think that's, that's huge. So, you know, credit to you guys for doing that the right way. Um, and, and, you know, being comfortable with not growing too fast because that's what hurts a lot of franchise companies as well. They grow too fast and they can't support the franchisees that they're adding. And unfortunately that happens too often in my opinion. We went through that too. So we stopped, oh man, 20, late 17 or most of 18. So late 17, I think all of 18 actually, we didn't sell any franchises. Yeah. Uh, We had nobody doing development. We just paused it. And I'm actually really glad that we did. It was a really good time for us to develop mature our systems and our procedures and, and kind of work on things on the back end. And I'm really glad we did that because had we not done it and kept selling and kept selling and kept selling, man, it was like, you can't build a franchise on a weak foundation. You know, that's just no like doubt. Else, but. Yeah. I think it could be very healthy, you know, for a franchise order to do that, to kind of say, look, we're a good size right now. Let's take our foot off the gas. Let's make sure internally everything's tight and dialed in. And then when we're ready to grow again, we can step on the, the gas. Uh, one, of, one of the franchises we're a part of, you know, definitely did that. And I think it was the best thing, you know, that they could have done at the time. So that makes sense. Well, so, so let's fast forward though, because, you know, you guys are, um, you know, off to, a, a, I would say another, uh, growth spurt maybe is a good way to put it. So like where is Clean Eats at today as we record this in early 2021? So we are, we have, I think 121 licenses under the brand. That's total. Um, yeah. We have 53 stores open and operating with another 63 in development. So we're reaching that point now where you know, and I've actually, we've had many operations meetings in the last two or three months kind of discussing this pipeline, I guess that's the lingo that we use. Yeah, sure. Just discussing this development pipeline that we have. And we're like, you know, if we reach a point when these stores start to open to where we can't support them or, you know, we're having to delay these stores from opening, we're going to have to cut development off for a little while. And, and I'm fully prepared to do that. I hope we don't have to, I don't think we will. Um, 
And like I said, we've got our systems and procedures down to, you know, a science right now. So the way it's working right now, I don't think that we'll have to do that. But if we have to do it again, we just, you know, that's just kind of the nature of the game. Yeah, makes sense to me. So for those listening in, because I, I love the business model, right? I mean, like you said, the brand is cool. You guys have like a cult following with your clients. You know, the the food itself is really good. Uh, but from a business model standpoint, you know, why would someone be attracted to a clean eats franchise opportunity? And, and how are you guys different from like, you know, the traditional food franchises that are out there? I think the biggest thing that separates us is the multi-revenue streams. Yeah. We've kind of built over time. You know what I mean? Like we, we started out just dine in and carry out and meal plans. You know, that's kind of what clean started out to be. And then just over time, you know, with the franchise company and us kind of developing and trying to mature the concept and the operation, you know, now we have dine-in, carry-out, we have catering, uh, we've got the meal plans, we've got our marketplace item stuff, you know, the, the protein bars. So, I mean, those multiple revenue streams, you know, we've got a smoothie bar in all the restaurants now. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. Um, having all of that under one roof, I think, is one thing that really sets us apart. Um, and, and just the branding and the maturity, the, uh, you know, our brand maturity right now, I think is, is our meal ticket. We've kind of outlasted, um, the industry, I guess, if you will, mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing, you know, you see these mom and pop meal plan companies come up some, some, you know, young person wants to start a meal prep company because it's, you know, it's a popular, um, arena right now but it's hard. It's very hard. It's very financially taxing now because the cost of goods, you know, the cost of the meal containers, plastic is expensive right now. Food is expensive. So when I bet the shipping and logistics is crazy to figure out, that's a whole nother conversation. I'm just talking about brick and mortar, you know, even pick up to go, not even, we're not even talking about having a kitchen in it. Even if it was just like an express model, that's such an expensive operation to get up off the ground and, and get it to grow legs and start running um, now way more than what it was. So I think that's kind of what I was alluding to in the beginning when I said, had we not franchised when we did, I don't know if I'd be sitting here talking to you because there's just so much competition out there. And it's the, the business model is so expensive to get up off the ground and get running right now that for somebody that doesn't have the maturity that we have in the, you know, being able to buy things in bulk the way that we have because of the yeah. brand is the size that it is. I don't know if we would have made it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and I think from what I've learned about Clean Eats and, you know, we were talking offline about this, like I don't work with hardly any food franchises. Personally, I struggle to wrap my head around why a lot of the food franchises out there would make sense from an investment standpoint because it's very expensive to get a single location up and running and then you're happy if you've got like seven, eight percent net margin usually from what I've seen. And and you guys, to your point, with the multiple revenue streams, but you've also, because of all of the, you know, trial and error you've had over the years, really dialing this into a science, a new franchisee coming in right now, from what I've seen, can expect realistically to get a clean eats location up and running for dramatically less than, you know, what it would cost for another, you know, food franchise. You guys, I think, operate out of smaller locations typically, and and with all the different revenue streams that you have, you know, one of the things that I learned that I thought was so cool is you have basically no food waste. Is that right? 
Close, yeah. I mean, close, I mean, close and like compared to a typical restaurant. Oh, yeah, for sure. Hands down. Yeah. So that's kind of how we came up with in the very beginning. You know, when we opened our first cafe over here on Racine, we started doing this in St. Louis. That's kind of how we brought the idea to, to life was, you know, we hated wasting food, especially our food because it's more expensive. We're not buying burgers and French fries. So produce is expensive. Right. Um, so we would take things that, you know, had a – a two week shelf life and that we knew we were getting ready to lose if we didn't do anything with it. And we would try to make up our own concoctions, our own little meals and, and make our own recipes. And we called them grab and goes. Mm. And uh, so when we opened up clean East, we had a grab and go freezer in the dining room from day one. And that was, that was Yvonne and I's way of kind of almost repurposing some of that food before we would waste it. And it just kind of evolved over time. And now we still do it that way, but now it's a, it's almost kind of a, a premeditated, I guess, if you will. You know, we have franchisees that they've turned that into a full-fledged revenue stream. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they'll, yeah. They'll, they'll have – we give them, you know, recipes, and some of them make up their own, you know, as long as they stay within certain guidelines, our macro guidelines. So, they're, you know, we don't want franchisees out there making grab-and-goes that are 2,000, 3,000 calories per meal. But – you know, we give them the macro guidelines they stay in and they have creativity to kind of make up whatever they want, which is, you know, that's intriguing for them. And it's absolutely, it's kind of one of the the things that they look forward to is have being able to have that creativity and do that. But yeah. So, I mean, that takes care of a lot of the food waste in the restaurants. Yeah. It's so cool. And then, you know, with the, the cult like following you guys have with your clients and all the different options, you know, clients are coming back to you and, uh, you know, if you're just kind of an ordinary, whether it's fast food or fast casual or whatever you want to call it, like there's a lot of options out there. People are going for like whatever's convenient. Oh, it's on this side of the road and I'm hungry now, so I'm going to pull in. Whereas your clients, they're like, I need to go to clean eats. I need to pick up my meal plan for the week. I'm going to grab some grab and goes while I'm there. I'm going to get a smoothie because they're delicious. And oh, they've got protein bars now. Let me grab a couple boxes of those. And they're, they're seeking you out versus more it being more of like an impulse stop. Like I feel like it is for so many other, you know, restaurants. So that's another thing I think that's been beneficial for us as a franchise um, is we've always been what, you know, what we call in the industry, a destination location. And it's yeah, exactly what yeah. you said. Like we don't have to be, our franchisees don't have to pick real estate that's on a busy four way intersection. That's going to be, 30% higher in rent than, you know, someplace that's around the corner that you just have to drive a little further to get to. People will seek it out. So. Yeah, that's a good point, man. Well, look, I, I love the business. I love what you guys are doing with it. It's been a lot of fun for me to just kind of watch, you know, what you've done with it. It's been so much fun for me to hear, you know, more of the story and, and you know, how you guys have gotten to this point. And I can't wait to, you know, see where you guys take this from here. Um, we'll wrap up soon because I know you're busy and, and I really appreciate the time, but you know, as you sit here today, what's, what's kind of the vision for clean eats? I mean, where, where do you want to take this from here? We get asked this once a month, by somebody, <laughs> I'm sure that comes, that comes to our, our discovery days, you know, when we invite people into town to, to kind of explore the brand. I and mean, I, I swear it's once a month we get asked this and we, the honest answer is we don't know. You know, I mean, everybody, you know, talks about selling out or when, when are we going to sell it? You know, and the answer is whenever we stop having fun with it, you it's know, good I mean? answer. if Yvonne and I wake up one day and, and it's been 
you know, miserable and we're just not happy or, you know, something like that, then we'll, we'll, we'll look to, to kind of exit and then, you know, we'll never quit, you know, we'll always, we'll go build something else. We'll go do something else. But, you know, right now, Clean East is our baby. Um, we've got an amazing franchise um, family, franchise partners. Every mm-hmm. one of them is, is, is awesome. We, I can honestly sit here and, and be completely honest with you. We don't have one franchisee in our system that gives us a headache or, you know, we wake up and we're like, man, I really wish we wouldn't have put him in this. You know, we, we don't have any of those. Yeah. We have great culture within and, you know, with the protein bars and the marketplace items, there's just a lot of exciting stuff that's still happening. So until that's gone, man, and that electricity isn't there, we're, we're not going anywhere. We'll just keep building and keep building and who knows? I would, I always joke around. I, I would, I can't do this right now, honestly, because we don't have the bandwidth and the time, but I would love to start, you know, a, a small brand umbrella, you know, and build something that would work in synergy with clean eats. Um, so I've been trying to figure that out, honestly. Um, I just don't know what that is, what that looks like again, because you know, it's 24 seven clean eats right now. So no I don't really want to take time. It'd be unfair to our franchise. Yeah, man, totally get that. You know, it's right now full on focus on clean eats. I think you've still got so much growth ahead of you. So many exciting things ahead for clean eats. And um, I was joking with my wife a little while ago. I was like, I kind of wish clean eats didn't start here in Wilmington. Cause like I would love to get involved in that business, but you know, we're not leaving Wilmington or at least don't have any plans to anytime soon. But uh, so anyways, I'm a big fan, but I, I like your line of thinking too, of, you know, kind of an umbrella of companies that, you know, are synergistic in some way or another. You see that a lot in franchising because once you kind of figure out how to be a good franchisor, most of that translates across just about any type of business you may get involved in. So um, you'll have to keep me posted on what you come up with along those lines down the road. Yeah. So look, where can, where can people connect with you? Uh, Where can people find your podcast? The clean truth. It really is a great podcast. Highly recommend it. Where can people find out more about the clean eats franchise opportunity? If that's something they're interested in learning more about. Yeah. So, uh, the easiest way to find out about franchising is just go to our website, just www.cleaneats.com, um, E-A-T-Z.com. Um, my personal stuff is on Instagram. That's the kind of the platform that I use the most. Um, and that's just Don underscore Verity. Um, and then I'm sorry, what was the third one? I'm sorry. Uh, podcast, where can people uh, find the podcast? Clean truth is on iTunes, Spotify, Google play, um, we just built a new studio. It's, it's kind of in the other room here behind me. Um, so we've been putting a lot more stuff on YouTube. Yeah. Um, the that's awesome. stuff, man, for me, we've been doing it for about two years now and it's still just as hard as it was two years ago, man. I mean, you it's know, not easy. it's not, it's not as easy as what everybody thinks it is. It's a very competitive market to get into and to make it really, you know, to get a lot of downloads and to get a oh, lot yeah. of engagement and, and to get a podcast successful and off the ground, it takes a lot of work, man. And Definitely I'm still does. learning, you know, I just did an interview with a buddy of mine the other day and, and I went back and I, I listened to it and I'm like, man, I sound like a bonehead when I ask them questions. So interviewing for me on the, on the other end, like, you know, what you're doing now is I'm still learning how to get good at that. So. Oh yeah. It's, it's an art. And uh, I mean, I go back and listen to all of my podcasts before they come out 
not because I like hearing myself talk, but I am trying to get better. And um, like, I talk too much. I, I know that I've gotten better at it, but still need to get a lot better at it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not easy. And there's a lot that goes into it on the back end. And, but for me, I like, I love it. Like I don't make any money doing my podcast, yeah, yeah, but dude, it's so much fun. Like I get to connect with guys like you. I've connected with so many people that I probably wouldn't have connected with had it not been for the podcast. And like selfishly, I learn something every single time I do a podcast. And uh, for me, it's been, it's been awesome. It's been fun. So, uh, but this is up there with them in terms of like favorite interviews I've done yet. Like I didn't know, I knew some of your story, but I didn't know the full story. It's a cool story. You ought to write a book one day. Not, not that <laughs> you've got a lot of downtime, I know, but um, it, it'd be a book I would read for sure. But, um, and we'll link everything in the show notes, podcast, um, you know, it's Clean Eats website, uh, your Instagram. And for the record, I, I do follow Don on Instagram and it looks like he's since upgraded from the minivan. Looks like he's back to having a, a pretty nice truck. I think I saw, saw a picture of a nice truck on one of your Instagram posts. Yeah, no more minivan. We got rid of one. <laughs> That's good. But <laughs> That's what we good. Call it. Good, good memories, right? Futons and minivans. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ne- never forget those days. Well, look, man, any, any parting advice or words of wisdom for, you know, whether it's the aspiring entrepreneur out there or someone that's even, you know, in business for themselves, but they're feeling kind of stuck and they're, they're trying to figure out how to get to that next level? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I said it earlier, just never have a plan B. That was, that's, that's key because if you do, you're always going to fall back on it. It's yeah. a safety net for people. And, mm. uh, you know, I know there's going to be people that say, well, you know, I have a family and that just goes back to what I said, you know, you got to be responsible. Sure. But at the same time, figure it out. Don't have a plan B, just dive into it and, and figure it out. But, you know, and then the second part is never bend on your integrity. And I mm. think that's been the, the other meal ticket for Yvonne and I, as we've always, try to stay as authentic and who we are as, as possible, no matter what we are doing, you know, we still live same way we did five years ago. You know what I mean? Like we don't, we are who we are and we don't apologize for it, but you know, we, it doesn't matter how much money we ever make. We're always going to be the same people. So I think if, as long as you're authentic to yourself, yeah, you're going to be fine. So no doubt, man. That's, that's gold right there. Um, well, look, real quick, before I let you go, I do what I call a lightning round at the end of uh, all these interview episodes. It's the same four questions I ask every guest that comes on, um, and it moves pretty quick. But first question, and, and it may be a bit of a repeat of you know, some of the advice you just gave us, but uh, the first question is simply, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? And that could be business advice or just general life advice. I would say the best advice that I've ever gotten was the authentic piece. Yeah. Just being authentic to who you are. Don't try to be something that you're not, because if you do, you're going to fall flat on your face or whatever business that you're in or that you're doing is not going to be, it's not going to be real. Yeah. It's not going to have true meaning to you or anybody else. If it's not authentic and, and, and you're trying to be somebody or compete with somebody, that's another good thing. Good way to put it is, no matter what you're doing, if you have competition out there, just do you, man. Be, be who you are, do it. and That's right, because you know. no one will be able to replicate that, sure. you know. Um, that's the way I look at it. And, yeah, I think that's, that's great advice. And, you know, if you're, 
if you spend your whole life not being authentic to yourself, you're, you're going to be miserable, right? Whether you, you end up, you know, f- as a complete failure or not, you're, you're not going to really enjoy life to the fullest uh, if you're not being authentic to yourself. So um, I'm curious, especially with your, uh, you know, bodybuilding background, do you have any sort of a morning routine, like any, anything you try to do every single morning to prime yourself for a successful day? Man, I'm going to be a hundred percent transparent here and I'm going to kind of put my own self on blast here for a minute. <laughs> the answer is right now, no. And yeah. I need to, um, yeah. I, I, that is one area where I don't really practice what I, I preach. You know, we've kind of, Yvonne and I have gone through some stuff here lately. We've, we've got a renovation going on in our house. You know, we've just got a lot of, and I'm making excuses. I know, but you know, we've kind of fell out of our morning routine. What we used to do was we would get up at five 30. Um, we were, our, me and Yvonne's morning coffee time is kind of like our time, mm-hmm. you know, so we would spend an hour having coffee and, and, and talk about our day and what we're going to do. And then we would go do cardio together and then, you know, shower, get ready and go to work. And she usually goes to one office. I go to the other one. And that was our morning routine. And it, that, that's been so messed up the last couple of months with everything that we've got going on that we're kind of like, I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, I, yeah. you know, so right no, I, now, no, but that's what we used to do. Yeah, it happens. I mean, like I have a two month old at home right now. So my morning routine has been shot for, for the last couple months, but it's, you know, it's like once you kind of figure out, and I like asking this question because it's different for everyone, like what works well to set them up for a, a great day. Uh, but like for me, one, when I get out of that routine, like, you know, I, I start feeling it like pretty quick. I'm like, damn, I need to get back to that because it just, it doesn't quite feel right. So, um, I'm not sure if you're a reader or not. What book are you reading right now, though, if you are? Oh, man. Um, so, I, right now, I'm reading The Art of War from Sun Tzu. Yeah. Um, kind of a – I'll make this really quick. But I kind of use an analogy in our discovery days. Um, and I got inspired to do this by a franchisee. I don't know if he was – as part of, uh, I don't remember which, which franchise brokerage system that, that referred him, but, you know, he kind of inspired me when he, when he came and we make everybody tell us their why, you know, that's one thing that we do when we come here is why, why are you here? What do you, what are you wanting to do with this? And, and his really stuck out to me. And he said that he lives his life on a four legged table and he gave his, you know, he gave us four reasons. And I said, man, I immediately equated that to, books that I have read and I don't like to read very rarely do I ever like, I'm going to go read this book. Right. (laughs) There's a couple of them that I've read, you know, over the, over time that have really stuck with me and I've never forgotten the lessons that I've learned from them. And I always tell people in this discovery day that I live my life off of a three legged table because I haven't found four books that have really, (laughs) you know, hit home to me. Yeah. The first one was Simon Sinek's why. Yeah, you know, because Yvonne and I had that kind of mindset before we even knew who Simon Sinek was. Sure. And then once we found that book, we were like, holy crap, man, this is like our holy grail, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's that one. And, you know, and then I always try to advise franchisees that are coming in. If your passion isn't about people, you're in the wrong place. You yeah. Know what I mean? Like, don't do yeah. this. The second book is uh, Jocko Willink's Extreme Ownership. Yeah. That's a you good know, one. That's always been a big one for me. And, you know, I always, the way that I, you know, use the analogy to the franchisees that come here is we're, we are a mature brand, but we still screw up from time to time. We're not perfect, but when we do, we're going to own it. We're going to fix it. Um, and if somebody's coming in and they're not 
able to trust us and trust the system that we've put together. And if you're going to come in and want to change our franchise system in 30 days, you know, maybe this isn't the right place for you. You know what I mean? So that's the second one. And then the third one is Tim Grover's Relentless. That, that book to me is probably the best book I've ever re read in my life. In, in terms of being a business owner and doing what I do now, that one right there is, is the cream of the crop for me. And you're like the I second got, person that I've heard in the last couple of weeks recommend that book. So I've got to check that out. I've read the other two. Uh, and if you like extreme ownership, check out Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Oh, we, yeah, I just read that one too. We, just, yeah. we do a little book club here in the office. Oh, that's uh, cool. And then we kind of get together once a month and do them. But that, the, the relentless book for me, what I got out of that was, you know, just having that mindset to where you have to make business decisions with zero emotion. You just, yeah. and, and in terms of franchising, the way that I relate that to people that come in and are interested in buying a franchise, is I always tell them, we're going to collectively here at our corporate office make decisions that not everybody's always going to like. It's just going to happen. We're going to make a decision whether we're going to implement something or take something away. Somebody is not going to like, but it's yep. always the best decision for our brand at the time. And I always try to do that with no emotion because the minute you let emotion in, it's, it's not the right move. That's yeah. That's so true. Sorry. That was a little um, long winded. No, I love it, man. Like I, I sit here and talk books with you all day. Um, but, uh, no, I, I'm definitely gonna check out relentless. Um, so good stuff there. What last, last question of the lightning round here is, uh, what is your definition of freedom and are you living it? Oh, I mean, I feel like I am right now. Um, I think that's a different question for everybody. I don't think, I don't think there's a broad answer to that because it is. That's why I ask it to everyone that comes on. Yeah. I mean, my, my definition is when you can wake up every day and, you know, go do something that you're passionate about and it doesn't feel like work. And I would say you're pretty free. You're a pretty free man. Hell yeah. I mean, outside of, you know, the outside world and all the negative stuff that's happened in the last year and a half. I mean, if you can look past that and you can go to work every day, whether it's for yourself or somebody else and it's not a drag and you don't come home hating your life, then, you, then you're a free person. Yeah. I feel like I am living that now. So, um, but again, like I said, that's different for everybody. You know what I mean? It doesn't have that. That's like, goes back to that American dream being different for everybody. hundred percent. Entrepreneurship isn't for everybody. So if you can do that and work for somebody else, that's great, man. Then, then, then you're on it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that, that comes up all the time, you know, with guests I have on here, you know, cause we talk a lot about, pushing through fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and, you know, making moves. And, and usually it's in the context of, you know, business. But, you know, we also point out pretty often, you know, if you don't have that desire to get into business yourself, we're not necessarily talking to you. Like, you know, the point is not to say, hey, everyone needs to be a business owner. And if you're not, you know, fooey on you. So, uh, very valid point. But, um, yeah, I totally agree. Everyone's definition of freedom is different. And, and that's why I love asking that question to everyone that comes on the podcast, because to me, it's just intriguing to, to hear different people's definitions and, you know, to see how they've achieved freedom or how they're in the process of achieving, you know, freedom in their own lives. Cause there's a lot of different ways to do it. Like we've already talked about, there's not one path that's right for everyone. Uh, you know, your path to freedom is just that it's your path to freedom, but you know, you gotta at least have the courage to walk down the path. Right. 
Um, so, well, look, Don, man, I can't thank you enough for making the time. This has been awesome. Um, your your story, what you guys are doing at Clean Eats is very inspiring. Um, can't wait to see where you guys take it from here. So, again, really appreciate you dropping in on the Path to Freedom podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. I appreciate it. You got it. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path2frdm.com. And if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello, feel free to contact me at Wes at path2frdm.com. Thanks again. Now go drop in. Thank you.